your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Bowers awaits the shotgun snap, sends the tight end motion. They roll right. Bowers throws pass. Is knocked away. Eli Sullivan knocks the football away, and the Huskers have a goal line stand, taking over the one. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. And welcome to another week of Sports Highly. Thank you so much for spending some of your Monday night with us. We do appreciate that. We'll try to keep you entertained and informed over the next couple of hours as we welcome you back from another summertime weekend. Feels like fall outside. Temperatures have really plummeted the last couple of days. Makes you start to think about some college football. Well, we are delighted to welcome a new host on the show. His name is Ben McLaughlin. Ben, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself uh, back here on Sports Highly? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'd love to. Um, <laughs> born and raised in Omaha, got a, a two-month-old daughter who who got some quality dad time the last few weeks, and um, you know now now back in the saddle. It's weird, you know. It feels like a forever ago that I was on the air with you last, but it also seems like just yesterday that the two weeks was starting. So, feels like uh, forever, not enough time, all in one. Well, you've been missed. Uh, uh, Tim and, and Josh filled in admirably in your absence, and uh, Tim was ready to go tonight in case you uh, you weren't quite up for it. Tim's Tim's the pinch hitter on the bench with that that's always working in the cage through the first yep. eight innings of the game just in case. Yeah, just keep himself warm and loosed, loosened up. Well, I mean, the one thing you haven't missed is you have not missed any solid plans for Big Ten football in the last two weeks. Here we are, August the 3rd, still don't have a schedule. Still, the football coaches are all waiting to see if they start practice Friday, which is when the initial day was to be set. Are you surprised that we're sitting here in early August with this much uncertainty about the fall? Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because it, you feel like, number one, that – uh, you know, a decision should be imminent, right? I mean, that, that's kind of the sense that I get is that we should have some sort of decision. But at the same time, you know, you almost feel like everyone seems to be waiting for somebody else to make the first move. Uh, it, 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 it's almost seemed this way since the whole coronavirus started back in March with the cancellations all the way through today. It's like we all know decisions need to be made. Uh, we all know something needs to be done. We all know something needs to happen. We all know there's there's questions that need to be answered. But it's like you're not quite sure who's going to make that first move, who's going to make that first announcement. And there's been little things here and there that may try and indicate or sway your opinion one way or the other. But, I mean, I, I'm sure you're the same way, Greg. I get people literally asking me every day what's going to happen with football. And, and my answer changes in a span of 24 to 48 hours based on what's in the news that day. So, um, you know, I think we're all still kind of waiting for, you know, the direction. But, you know, as far as we know, it's still a go. And, you know, here we are, as you said, already in August where fall camp should be starting, uh, that we should be, you know, getting some some type of decision here pretty soon and the coaches need to know what type of shape do we need to get our players in they're operating under the assumption that there's going to be a season but you know you've even had another big 10 campus today shut down those voluntary workouts in northwestern so it's like 
you know, I, I'm literally like a flag blown in the wind on what direction I think this, this fall is going to happen. You're right. On Northwestern, they had one positive test, so they put a halt to workouts for a couple of days. They said they may resume on Wednesday. They want to test some individuals who were around the one that tested positive to see if it extends any further out. So it's a temporary halt is the way they're putting it out of the Wildcat camp. Now, the Huskers started the 20-hour clock back on the 24th of July. So they're into their third week of that, which is a lot of time to be around your position players. We've not heard any negativity that has come out of that, you know, because the guys have tightened quarters a little bit that there's been any positive testing out of the Nebraska camp. But they're, like everybody else in the league, still kind of wondering, does Friday, August the 7th, which is – in the football calendar listed as the first day of a fall camp. Does that go or not? Last week, to recap last week for everybody, the SEC says we're a go, but not until September the 26th. The Pac-12, same thing. We're a go September the 26th. Both of those leagues, the Pac-12 and the SEC, are going conference only. The ACC had come out and said we're going to start on the 12th of September, so a week late. We're going to go with conference games plus one and teams could pick one non-conference game to save the acc did that thinking they could protect some longtime rivalries between teams in their league and teams in the sec but then the sec says no we're just going conference only so now the acc teams could go pick somebody else in their non-con to save whether it's a a team out of the AAC whether it's an FCS school that's going to be up to them I've not heard where they proceeded from that that we were supposed to hear today something from the big 12 their presidents and chancellors met today here we are 11 minutes past six o'clock still nothing from the big 12 conference tomorrow is another one of those board of governors conference calls which there was one of those about 10 days ago where they tabled this issue to talk about fall sports championships which does not include fbs football but it certainly would include husker volleyball would be news for husker volleyball and soccer and cross country those seasons also kind of waiting for marching orders from the nca so we may get something tomorrow there's been some speculation that Kevin Warren, the new commissioner of the Big Ten Conference, is waiting for the Board of Governors to say something before he jumps in with a decision what to do with football. But I can tell you that there are a lot of anxious people uh, in North Stadium right now, in that coaching staff, in the athletic department going, come on, we, we need if we're playing September the 5th, we need to know because that is only four weeks away from Saturday, and so the clock would really be ticking, Ben, if they get the go sign here in the next couple of days. It wasn't that long ago that we were sitting here and saying that, you know, the, the one thing that college football has on their time is – on their side is time. Well, that, that time has evaporated. I mean, that, that, that time's gone now, and, and this is kind of what, what was making us then feel a little – more comfortable now for the same reasons making us feel uncomfortable the amount of things that need to get prepared and i'm and i'm speaking just in terms of nebraska on a small scale on one school scale let alone a conference even on a national picture all the things that need to be answered uh you know all the questions that 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 need to be answered and all of the uh, situations logistics uh, personnel you know all those questions that need to be answered for an athletic department to, to, to get put in place advertising you know that that affects us everything that that needs to be kind of talked about and and accepted and then and then planned for 
uh, it's time to put those in motion now because you can't just roll the ball out on, on September with a whatever and say, okay, go play. There are a lot of things that need to be, you know, put in place before that happens. And, and I don't know that uh, for every passing day that the, the, the more difficult that that's going to be. And the, the one thing that you don't want, and we're starting to see that with Major League Baseball, is something that's just thrown together, you know, and 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 not taken seriously or or whatever and and then have it all come crashing down after a couple of weeks so you really hope that you know you've got plans a through d right now for all the possible scenarios and um you know the people people behind the curtains can as soon as they get word one way or the other can start implementing those plans immediately and it's not a wait and react type of thing they can try and get out in front of it the best they can because there's a lot of the greg you know what goes on in game day there's so mm-hmm. many things that right that 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 on just a normal typical game day uh are going to be affected and now with with the curveball and the differences that that this year would throw i mean this is unprecedented for any university so it, these are tough problems to solve they sure are, and there's an awful lot of logistics to be working worked out. Um, we don't even know if Nebraska, in if, if the new schedule comes out, if they're going to have a home game for the first game or not. We don't know. I mean, all that is still up in the air, and you've got a lot. I mean, these, these uh, director of ops who have to go put travel plans in place, I mean, they are going to be in scramble mode once they get the schedule from the league and it's announced and we're a go time. And that certainly could change. I've always felt like the best plan would be conference only, 10 games. Start it when you're supposed to start September the 5th. Build in three or four bye weeks so that if you have a big infection week, you can shut her down for seven or 10 days, get your guys healthy, get back and go, and then maybe have to manipulate the schedule as you move along. To me, that seems like the best plan to try to get as much college football in in the fall as you possibly can. And maybe that's what Kevin Warren's going to do with the Big Ten. We hope to hear something. And I think you almost have to hear something from him this week uh, about all of this. Ben mentioned Major League Baseball, and I'll put the, to rest these rumors that Ben was not with the, the Cardinals on the casino trip that they took that, that decimated that, that team. You were, you were not doing that, so we'll take that off the list. The Cardinals are, are shut down until the end of the week. Uh, that's really hit them hard. In fact, they seem to now be the bigger story. The Marlins seem to be on the recovery. Uh, they put out a, a list today that they had no more positive tests for the Marlins. They may be a lot closer to playing than the Cardinals, who are shut down. Everybody else in baseball is playing, uh, as Tim just gave you a couple of scores uh, that are already underway tonight. And, and I'm told that Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, really got after Tony Clark, the players' rep, on Friday saying, hey, you've got to get your guys under control. If we're going to do this, guys can't be going out to clubs. They can't be going to casinos. They've got to try to keep themselves quarantined within hotels or wherever they are, are going. And so uh, Major League Baseball is still trying to fight the fight on this thing. The NBA and basketball is so much easier, I think, to bubble. Same thing with hockey. It's easier to bubble those teams than it is Major League Baseball. So uh, they're having some success. They haven't been shut down at all, and they're getting their seasons back underway as well. So that's that's been fun. As a sports fan, Ben, there's been a lot more to talk about and watch over the last couple of weeks since those three sports leagues now are underway. Yeah, the first couple of weeks of baseball, I'm, I'm always all in anyway. Uh, and, and I kind of had mixed feelings. You know, I, I, I kind of had some bitter feelings towards Major League Baseball on both sides, um, you know, with, with the owners and the players' union. I, I kind of thought maybe that might sour me t- uh, to the sport a little bit 
but it really hasn't. I think my just love for the sport ended up trumping my personal feelings towards, you know, why they're starting that late. Uh, you know, one thing that I mean, I've watched a ton of baseball over the last couple of weeks. The one thing that I, I'm surprised to find myself, Greg, I, I kind of thought it would be interesting and, and kind of fascinating watching baseball on TV without fans. And I thought it'd be kind of a, you know, add a different wrinkle. I don't want to say I would enjoy it, but it would be like just, you know, you'd be so fascinated with watching them play without any fans. It's bothered me a heck of a lot more than I thought it would. I mean, watching all these games with no fans in the stands and the ambient noise and, and I, and I agree that it would be really awkward hearing nothing, hearing, just hearing these guys. I mean, I was watching the Reds play yesterday, and Trevor Bauer was pitching against the Tigers. And literally every pitch, you can hear him grunt like a tennis player at Wimbledon. I mean, that's so unheard of to think of, of in baseball. And it's it's bothered me so much more than I thought it would, the games that I watch. And, yeah, it's just not something that, that I expected. But, um, you know... You 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 I would just watch DJ LeMahieu of the Yankees hit a home run at four rows up at Yankee Stadium in right field instead of watching fans fight for the ball. You watch it ricochet around seats. It's just right. it's such a different feel than than what I'm used to, and I'm surprised how much it bothers me. Yeah, it, it, it's different. You certainly notice it on pop ups to the down the lines when the cameras pan out a little bit. I think the cutouts have been helpful. At least you have something to kind of distract you behind home plates when that center field camera gives you that look uh you knew it would be different and, and the nfl may look a lot different too if they completely limit fans and it sounds like we're going that direction in the nfl as well uh so you're right it, it's going to take an adjustment but ben i would rather have the games going than not going at all i'd rather be sitting there watching the yankees and the phillies or the royals and the cubs tonight than not having anything at all going on and so it's it's been fun doing that and then obviously the nba in their bubble with no fans they they can go with a tight enough camera angle that it doesn't really doesn't really show off too much all right uh th- those are some of the headlines and some of the stories we'll be dealing with on the program tonight adam rittenberg of espn.com coming up here in a couple of minutes here's another chance for us to remind you that we now have a text line here with the husker sports network our u.s cellular text line is also doubling as our call-in number for you to call in and join the program we uh, we open the doors on this uh, late last week, some of you may not have heard that. Our new number now is area code 531, which, by the way, is a new area code in the state of Nebraska. 531-500-4686. So 531-500-4686. That is our new U.S. cellular text line. It's also our new Woodhouse Auto Family hotline number for you to call. If you want to send us a test text tonight, our guys will reply back to you to say that you got it. Then you can lock it into your phone. So if you have have any thoughts you want to relay to the program but you can't get to a phone or you're driving and you don't want to call us up but you can well you're not supposed to text and drive well, I, let me rewind that you didn't hear me say text you're in a passenger drive. seat yeah okay yeah there you go or if you know you're sitting and waiting to get on a bus or something and you want to share a thought with us we would love to hear from you again on our now u.s cellular text line at 531 500 4686 Ben, we've heard from a lot of folks over the years, man, I can't really sit there and call you because I'm in a crowded, noisy area or something, but I'd love to give you my thoughts on something. Can I? Can we do a text saying, well, we heard you, we've responded, here it goes, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of people that I'm sure just don't like 
uh, talking. You know, I'm sure yeah. it's just, just like computer or t- Twitter or whatever. <clears throat> there are a lot of people that just prefer, you know, not to call in. So, yeah, hoping to hear from a lot more uh, fans, a lot more people, and, you know, a lot, lot more opinions. I'm sure there's uh, there's some text that we probably won't be able to, to reply to or, or give attention to especially maybe after a Saturday, but, you know, to, to open this avenue for fans that maybe aren't comfortable talking on the phone or, or don't want to, or, you know, whatever else. Yeah. I mean, any, any chance we get to hear from the fans is, is, a, is good. We heard late last week from Ron in Omaha, Wyatt in Alma, Kurt in Grand Island, Glenn in rural Nebraska, Brian and Carol. Uh, who else did we hear from Dale in Denton, Texas, Jim in Milford, uh, Scott, Texas, and did a test with us. So, uh, yeah, glad to have you, uh, lock that into your phone, put it into your memory and your files so you can rip to kick out a text to us. This will also be operable for Big Red Reaction when we have that up and running after a Husker football game. So 531-500-4686 is our new U.S. Segular text line. And also, that's our new phone number for you to call and be a part of the program as well. When we come back, we'll check in with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. That's coming up next. We're back. Sports Island here on a Monday night. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin, back from his little vacation to spend some time with his new daughter, Kennedy. Glad to have Ben back in the saddle with us here tonight. We always love chatting with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. We have him on weekly during the college football season. We've checked in with him about monthly during this off season to get some of the latest. And Adam joins us now from Chicago. Adam, great to have you with us. You've been really covering the Iowa story with the the, uh, internal investigation that they did into some racial unrest within the Hawkeye program. That became public late last week. I know you spoke with head coach Kirk Ferentz. Is that now behind us? Have they got that thing taken care of? Is there still more to come with that deal? Well, I, yeah, I think for the most part it's it's over. But, you know, even Kirk acknowledged that, that hey, the work that's done from here on is going to be important because I think everybody has felt uh, you know, good about the progress that's been made in the program just in terms of the environment and the openness to discussing some of these issues. But, you know, if, if, if players feel the way that they did for much of his tenure, at least a lot of the black players, if, if that's the case and in three months, then you've got a problem. And so I think there's definitely an effort, you know, because this was uh, outed in a sense publicly that they will uh, look at everything with a, with a, with a much more attentive and critical eye as far as uh, what, what they're doing to create a more inclusive environment in the program. Because, you know, it, it, you know, they, they, because of he's Kirk Ferentz and because he's a long tenured coach and a successful coach, you're able to survive something like this. But if it continues and there's a second, a wave of, of allegations, it's going to be a lot harder. So I, I, I don't I think it's essentially over for the moment, but something that I think everybody around Iowa is continuing to monitor, especially the former players. They were very important in bringing these issues to light. And Kirk Ferentz has said repeatedly that they were, in many cases, the most important resources he had in terms of figuring out what happened and what needs to be changed there. Did he seem remorseful to you? It's a tough question. I think to a degree on some of the macro issues, Greg, yes. Um, but we asked them, you know, Michelle Steele and I, who did a terrific job with me reporting this piece, um, we asked them some direct questions like, did Chris Doyle do anything wrong? And 
he was reluctant to say so. He was still very complimentary of Chris Doyle, the longtime strength coach who they separated from back in uh, mid-June after these allegations came out. Most of those allegations targeted Chris Doyle. You know, so Kirk is very loyal to Chris Doyle. And, you know, he, Chris Doyle did a very good job in terms of developing players and helping them get to the NFL. But uh, there's some very troubling things that were alleged. And the one incident that you know, we even confirmed with Kirk Ferentz involving uh, one of their former wide receivers, Darrell Johnson Kulianos, who was you know, made to wear a trash can and run around the practice field as a punishment when there's hundreds of people there. I mean, I just don't understand how that's, that's okay um, and, and the pattern of that, that behavior at least to be acknowledged as, as wrong. I mean, I think that's, that's part of this process is, is, is not just apologizing for how uh, players felt, which, which Kirk did to his credit, but, but, but not really acknowledging the, the, the wrongdoing or, or, or at least the mistakes that were made um, at least by this uh, very important person on the staff and Chris Doyle. Yeah, and, and I ask that, Adam, because then you've been around so many of these guys. That's not really in their DNA to admit that no. they were wrong on something. I mean, even after games they lose, they won't admit that the game plan wasn't very good. I mean, that's just kind of the way they're wired. Right, right. And, you know, again, you have a longtime friendship. You have a, yeah. a, a, a connection with a coach who has been instrumental and the success Iowa has had. I mean, you 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 know uh, where the where Iowa typically ranks in the re, in recruiting. It's not a top. Although the recruiting mm-hmm. class for this next year is very good, they're not a top ten recruiting program. Kirk's very upfront about that. But they've had seventy five players selected in the NFL draft during his twenty plus seasons as head coach. I mean that that shouldn't happen. And and I think it's a credit to both Kirk and, and Chris Doyle for for for, uh, for why that's happened, along with certainly the players and others. But um, you're right. There is a reluctance to admit you know, true mistakes, you know, true wrongdoing. Um, and, you know, that did continue, even though there was certainly, you know, a degree of remorse, just general remorse shown by, by Kirk and uh, Gary Barta, the athletic director. Yeah. Again, visiting with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. He covers college football for ESPN.com. Let's go to the Pac-12. This has been a wild couple of days out there. Uh, was this just a perfect storm of the virus, social unrest, uh, the NIL thing coming up, name, image, likeness coming up. It, was it all just the coming together of this? Is that how you, you read this? Right. Well, you know, again, it was an organized movement took place over the last month or so. And I think really the, uh, the strongest force behind it is, um, is the, the, the fact that a lot of these players in the Pac-12 and even in other leagues don't feel completely safe with uh, the protocols and, 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 and the safeguards essentially in place uh, at some of these programs. And they started talking to each other and how are you guys testing and what are you guys doing if, if, uh, if someone has to be quarantined and some of these other questions. And they, they realized that they all had some concerns. And they obviously also were paying very close attention to all of the, um, the social justice uh, campaigns and protests and, and uh, everything that, that's been happening since late May. And so I think those are the two main issues here, uh, the, the health and safety protections now and even in the future. I think the most important item they had on that list of demands, Greg, was the long-term medical coverage uh, after mm-hmm. six years after your eligibility to cover, uh, obviously, injuries, but also if there are lingering effects from getting COVID-19, which, you know, we're seeing that's possible, unfortunately. So there's that. And then there's the racial injustice component, which I also think is one that the PAC-12 will be proactive about. Then you get into revenue, get into the 50-50 revenue split that they want and, you know, programs to be restored at Stanford and, and, not, and not, not having uh, other, other uh, programs cut in the league, which is possible, especially if there's no football season. So that's where it gets trickier, but um, it's a broad range of demands. You always want to come out 
and negotiate uh, from your strongest position and then work towards an agreement. So this is where they're at right now. And certainly the leverage players have uh, as we're on the eve of trying to play a season amid a, a global pandemic is probably they've never had as much as they have right now. They, they have some time, right? I mean, they're not starting until the 26th of September. So the league has a few weeks, right, to kind of iron some of this out. Well, yeah, right. So today is the start, at least in most of the programs in the Pac-12, of the summer access period, the enhanced summer access period, 20 hours a week. Um, our understanding is that most of these players, uh, even though they're part of this movement, are, are still working out with their teams, and they want to work out with their teams. But the start of camp is critical, and that, that can start as early as August 17th for the Pac-12. And I think the hope is to have some type of agreement by then, or you'll actually see uh, you know, the number of players opt out. We're actually already seeing that. Uh, uh, Washington State and some other places have had players you know, decide to opt out because of their, excuse me, their concerns about the coronavirus. But as far as opting out because of this movement, I think that would that would really begin in earnest uh, around the time that training camp begins if if, if some of these uh, uh, demands have not been met. Yeah, busy with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. Let's bring it back to the Big Ten. They they were the first ones to step out on the ledge and say conference only. And I think that surprised a lot of people around the country. I know Bob Bowlesby of the Big 12 was caught off guard by that. Were you surprised that Kevin Warren went that direction several weeks ago? I was not. That was what we were hearing in the league for a number of weeks. Uh, I think it just made the most sense uh, because they have been communicating with um, all their doctors uh, or medical experts about coronavirus since March. And, um, you know, I think they, they just felt a degree of, of a comfort just playing one another uh, versus bringing in uh, teams from, especially from lower divisions or from uh, lower level group of five programs that might not have the same access to testing. And then you have a game where not everybody has been tested at the same level uh, and you have a, an outbreak. And that's what everyone's trying to avoid. I mean, if this season does start, and it's still a big if at this point, what coaches have told me is the worst thing that can happen is you start the season, then you have to essentially stop the season. So, um, you know, that, that's what everyone's trying to avoid. And I think by building in a conference-only schedule with some increased flexibility in terms of games, um, that, that's what the Big Ten is, uh, is trying to achieve. And, and, and you've seen that at least two other conferences, the Pac-12 and, and the SEC, have also gone with the conference-only model. Yeah. All right, uh, some some different mixed bag of news in the in the Big Ten, right? I mean, Michigan State's had issues. Obviously, Rutgers had issues a few weeks ago. Some programs seem like they're doing okay. Uh, I, I guess we all just should buckle up and get ready for a wild ride over the next three months, right? Right. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's going to be like this, and um, especially with some of the the contact tracing measures that are in there guidances if you've been in close contact with somebody you have to you know quarantine for 14 days even if you um, aren't showing symptoms or have, have tested negative that, th- those, those things are all um, are all potential uh, not even potential likely uh, roadblocks uh, for, for teams at times this season so you know again I think getting into um, you know the contact portion of, of preseason camps which we still don't know when that can begin in the Big Ten I know coaches are very anxious about that but that you know that hasn't been haven't been given clearance for that. You know, that's going to be interesting to see if we're going to see more, um, uh, more of these mini outbreaks or large-scale outbreaks or teams that are having to you know, stop activities for a week or two at a time. Um, I, again, as a, as a Power 5 coach told me last week, Greg, it's not so much about prevention as much as everybody would love to prevent this virus. It's, they're much more concerned about mitigation and, and, and preventing this from, from turning into uh, large-scale outbreaks because positive tests are going to occur 
It's just up to these schools and these teams to handle that as best they can and prevent, you know, one or two positive tests from turning into, you know, 20 and, and the team having to shut down for two weeks. Right. All right. Well, Major League Baseball is underway. What's your confidence level anytime Craig Kimbrell takes the mound for your Cubs? <laughs> not very high. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this, move, this move does not look like it's worked out. The fortunate thing is they're still finding ways to win, even with uh, a clearly uh, limited bullpen. The, uh, the starting pitching has been good, and, and they're, they're, they're hitting the ball pretty well. So uh, it, it's painful to see him out there, unfortunately, but uh, everybody else <laughs> seems to be doing okay on that roster. Yeah, they're home tonight against the Royals. Adam, as always, we appreciate it. Hopefully we start doing this on a weekly basis if we get this season underway. Yeah, me too. Absolutely, Greg. And I uh, hope you and your family are good and hope everybody uh, crosses their fingers for football season. We're back. Hour number two of our Monday show of Sports Island. So glad you could spend some time with us here tonight on this fall-like day around the state of Nebraska. How nice did it feel being outside the last couple of days, a little reprieve from the heat It'll be back. We all know it'll be back, but good to have you with us here tonight. All right, coming up this hour, we're going to continue our reports, series of reports of Around the Big Ten. We'll also continue our preseason top 25 countdown. We've made it up to number 15. We'll also have our weekend winners for you later on in the hour. But let's get the hour underway with a look around the league. Tonight, we take a look around the Big Ten Conference. Brought to you by Sinclair Oil Gasoline and Oil Products. Fill up your life and your vehicle with Dino Care. Sinclair's top-tier gasoline. Fields, looks, throws, middle of the field, toward the end zone, touchdown, Olave! 27-yard dodges a guy at the one and jumps into the end zone. Touchdown, Michigan! Touchdown! Touchdown, Iowa! Stanley to Amir Smith, March 5, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Tonight. Running backs Elijah Collins. Hand off to Elijah. Wants to run to his left and does. Going to spread out that Illinois defense. They can't catch him. He's at the left pylon. He's into the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. The Michigan State Spartans. And here to talk to us about the Spartans, Hondo Carpenter from Spartan Nation. Hondo, great to catch up with you. Let's just start. Are the are the Spartans back working out? What is the status of the team right now? Complete the complete shutdown. The nothing's mm. going on right now. They're in complete quarantine, and uh, they are doing absolutely nothing. They've had players and staff test positive for COVID. Where are they anticipating a restart date, or have they kept that close to the vest? Um, hearing that they could potentially be starting back tomorrow, but again, at this point, it's only potential. Everyone, uh, they just released numbers. They didn't say from what sport and said they tested 50 staff in the athletic department. None of them tested positive, but seven more uh, athletes did. So waiting to find out what's next for Michigan State. Not the way Mel Tucker would want to start a new era of football, but we talked with you a, a month or so ago, and you said that there's a there's a good feel around Mel Tucker coming to Michigan State to take over this program. Has that continued throughout the summer? Well, I'll tell you this. The good feeling is that Mark D'Antonio was gone, and him and his staff needed to go. But, you know, Tucker comes in, he, and then COVID hit, so he got no spring. D'Antonio, in my opinion, selfishly waited till after to, until basically signing day to retire, so he didn't get to go do anything with the recruiting class. And now, because of then they lose spring, and then they lose their summer workouts because of the COVID quarantine. Everything that could go wrong for him has. 
And uh, it's been tough for him, but nothing that he's done. He's done a lot to reach out to fans and to a fan base. But, yeah, I mean, they're excited that it's a new breath of fresh air. But to be very honest, Michigan State is in a spot that they're buried pretty deeply, and they're going to be stuck there for a while. Let's start with the quarterback. What, what, give me the breakdown of that position. looks to be wide open going into this season. Yeah, Rocky Lombardi is the guy that I think if they pulled players – um, who they would want. Um, Rocky is the best quarterback that they have, but I've heard now from two different people, <clears throat> some of the thinking internally is we have so many areas to rebuild. Do we go with a younger quarterback? Because that obviously will buy some more time from fans while we rebuild. Or do we go with Rocky? Uh, if it's based purely on the best player, Rocky Lombardi's their quarterback. If it's based upon a, a future um, and, uh, you know, uh, eyes to the future, then they, you know, very well possibly could go younger. That's going to be the biggest question mark on a team that's loaded with question marks. If they go with a young quarterback, it's Mel Tucker waving the flag saying, listen, we know we're buried. Antonio left us in a hole. If they come out and, and Lombardi's there, then it's them saying, okay, we're going to still try to compete and do our best now. Do you think with Jay Johnson as the OC that the offense opens up compared to what we've been accustomed to from the Spartans? If Barney the Dinosaur was the new offensive coordinator, the (laughs) offense would improve. It was a joke and an embarrassment, and if it was arrested for being a Power 5 offense, there would not have been enough evidence to convict it. Jay Johnson is a very good offensive coordinator, so he was a very good hire, yes, I still think that they're going to be a team that's obviously focused on running first, but this is going to absolutely open up literally just about anyone they hired would have been an improvement, but they got a good one in Jay. But I will tell you this very quickly. Switched over the other side of the ball, and they absolutely got themselves a terrific defensive coordinator from Kansas State. This is a guy that was in North Dakota. I think he's one of the rising stars in the profession I think he's a lot like Pat Narduzzi. This is a guy I don't expect to be at Michigan State long. I think he'll be head coaching soon. Yeah, Scotty Hazeltine is the D.C. He was with yep. Chris Kleiman at Kansas State last year. Did a great job with them. Love the beard, by the way, of Scotty Hazelton. <laughs> Let, let's go back to offense. You've got a, a terrific back in Collins who came within just a couple of yards of 1,000 yards. You've got a, a, a lot of experience along the offensive line, relatively speaking. This should be a group that could run the ball, I would think, Hondo, right? Um, You would think so, but here's the problem. I mean, you've got some really talented offensive linemen that other schools wanted, but the coaching at Michigan State has been deplorable. I'll give you an example. Last year, a very well-known high school coach called me, and he said, uh, when you're practicing today, tell my kid, and not his son, but one that played for him, to call me. And so I saw the kid, and I said, call him. He goes, I'm not calling him. I know what he wants to talk about. And I go, what? And he goes, I'm not doing anything like I was taught in high school. The problem is they're telling me here not to do it. I mean, that's how bad it was. It was horrible. And so you got guys that have to go back again and just be retaught. And so there's just so far to come, and there's been no on field. It's all been Zoom meetings, and you know this. You can do a lot in a Zoom meeting. I'm not minimizing them. It's better than nothing. But you can't teach foot placement. You can't teach hand-to-hand combat. And, you know, when you, and Nebraska fans know that better than anybody because that's offensive linemen you. And you just some things you got to sweat and fight and scrap. 
and they, they just haven't been able to do it. So, again, anybody with, that's reasonable would tell you that if, if Mel Tucker somehow got this team and they're not going to play 12 games, so I, to me this is even out the door, but if they got them to a bowl game in a normal year with six wins, it'd be as good of a coaching job as D'Antonio did the year they won the Rose Bowl, and people said if there had been a playoff, they would have beat Jameis Winston for the title. That's how bad things are. I think this is a year any slanting they chalk up and just say it's a wasted year. Hondo Carpenter with us from Spartan Nation. We're previewing Michigan State and our around the Big Ten reports here on Sports Alley. We mentioned Scotty Hazeltine, the new D.C. for Michigan State. What kind of talent is he inheriting on that side of the ball? Well, the good news is, is any coaching that was worth anything other than Terrence Samuel, who's now out at UNLV, um, is on the defensive side. And Mel Tucker was wise to keep a lot of the really solid defensive coaches they were still able to recruit. Now, a lot of good players didn't want to come to Michigan State at the end because they didn't want to be part of a defense where if you don't score, you don't win. But they still have some good guys there. The coaching has been very good. I think Michigan State's going to struggle on offense, and if their best players are on the defensive side of the ball, they just don't have a lot of them because a lot of you know good players were leaving there. And, you know, look what Penn State's doing in recruiting to the state of Michigan right now. They're destroying it because Michigan State created a vacuum because they were non-existent. So there's good players there, and I expect that if Michigan State's going to have any success, it's going to be with a defense that creates some turnovers and gives that offense a chance to punch it in and and with some turnovers and get some success and get some confidence. That's going to be the strength of the Spartans. And when I say strength – um, you know, that's like me. Well, you know, never. I probably shouldn't say that on here, but let's just say that's not a pretty thing. If I'm in the room and I'm the prettiest guy, it means there's a lot of ugly people. <laughs> Hondo, I mean, it, being a head coach at this level, there's pressure. But in some ways, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, isn't this almost a free pass year for Mel Tucker because of the virus and the shutdown and all that? Isn't this kind of a free year for him? Oh, it's a total free year. But let me explain another thing. Michigan State is all in on him. They threw the bank at him. He's now one of the highest-paid coaches in America with one of the highest-paid assistant coaching staff. And they're all in. I mean, Michigan State laid out the money for him. And if you know what? If he turns out to be as great as his pay is, is he's going to be great. But they paid that kind of money for a, for, for a coach with one-year experience. Now, when they got Mark D'Antonio, he only had three, and he did a very good job for a while. But, uh, you know, yes, he's going to get a break. But let me say this. If he comes and fails, Michigan State has hooked their whole entire ship to him. Mm. So he's going to get a, a, quite a more than just one year. And, 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 you know, to him, that's good. But this is anyone with a brain, anyone who's being fair to Mel Tucker, is, knows that this is a waste year for him. This is right. – and, and it's just going to be bad. And, you know, think about this one, my friend. Imagine if it's Nebraska-Iowa week. And all of a sudden, Iowa has to quarantine. And what are they going to do? I think it's going to be an off year for everybody. And if they end up moving it to the spring, which I'll just tell you, I've heard it from several athletic directors, not just in the Big Ten, but in several other conferences, that that's a legitimate thought. If they have to do that, then all of a sudden, then what? Who? how fair is it if you're a school that loses two or three players? Or as some SEC schools or ACC schools that say, may lose as many as 12, that say, I'm not playing because the NFL draft. I think it's, a, it's going to be a waste year for everybody. Yeah, I think so. Final thought, Hondo. How will history judge Mark D'Antonio? 
Mark D'Antonio is going, his legacy is going to be, he built his kingdom and he destroyed his kingdom. That he had an opportunity to go down as one of the greatest coaches of all time at any level. And Mark D'Antonio's stubbornness destroyed his legacy, completely destroyed it. He did a lot of good things and then, quite frankly, just relaxed and coasted and wouldn't fire people, wouldn't get rid of people, wouldn't make changes, and ran it right into the ground. As great as his highest point was, him taking the train and riding it right into the mountain was uh, as, as, as you know, spectacular, only that in a negative way. It's a sad story. As, as someone, I was at more of his games than he was because I went to everyone while he was the head coach. He missed a couple with his heart attack. I was at practices, again, every game, home and away. Um, it, it, it's a legacy that should have been great, and it's, and it's a story of what pride does. Mark D'Antonio started his legacy by calling out Michigan, saying pride comes before the fall. And in the end, it was his obituary to his career, pride came before his fall. Interesting. Hondo, great stuff as always. We appreciate it. Hopefully we're, hopefully we're going to cover some games here in the next several months. Thank you, my friend. We're back, Sports Highly here on a Monday night. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin with you, and time for us now to continue on our preseason top 25. It's the Sports Nightly preseason top 25 tonight. From the right hash, Ellinger with it, turns, hands right side, Ingram breaks a tackle, 15, 10, 5, touchdown Texas! Keontae Ingram, a stiff arm, and on fourth and three, number 26 takes it, 26 yards for a Texas touchdown. Number 15, the Texas Longhorns. And here to talk about the Longhorns, Brian Davis from the Austin American Statesman. Texas coming off of an 8-4 season a year ago where they beat Utah in the Alamo Bowl. And yet, Brian, uh, Coach Herman was not loving all the things that were happening with the football team and changes all the coordinators. That, that is, that's a big move by a coach like this. How has that gone since he made those moves? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it's the culmination of three uh, sort of so-so seasons. You know, it's like it's like, hey, this really—it's working okay, but could it work better? I think that was the thinking. And you know, seven new assistants total are in uh, for this year. But obviously, new offensive coordinator uh, Mike Yersich and the new defensive coordinator Chris Ash, those are the ones getting all the headlines. And and we'll see. You know, Tom had been calling the plays. Um, he took he took play calling away duties away from Tim Beck, and then he wants to sort of go back to being the walk around head coach, and so. That's why you're going to see Yersich take over the offense this year. Will people notice more of a difference on offense or defense, do you think? Well, from Texas's standpoint, it better be defense. <laughs> 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 you know, uh, they better have some improvement on defense. And, and I think it's going to start with going back to a four-man front, you know, t- taking Joseph Osai, uh, they're probably their best linebacker, moving him to sort of an outside stand-up uh, defensive end type of position. They're calling it the jack position. But basically it's, it's putting a, putting a, what what they hope is an, someone who can be an elite level pass rusher off the edge. You know, you look at their stats of the past year; they were terrible, just terrible at getting to the quarterback. Uh, ninth in the league in sacks, and so they've got to find a way to, to put more pressure on quarterbacks. You know, average Joe's looked like Johnny Unitas against 
team last year. So that was a real problem they had to fix. Chris Ash, we're real familiar with in the Big Ten, being the head coach at Rutgers, stints at Ohio State and Wisconsin as well. And, and it looks like he's inheriting some talent. Is, in, in your estimation, was it a talent problem in the last couple of years, or is it, was it more scheme-related? You know, that is the beauties in the eye of the beholder type of thing. Um, I personally think that the three-man front did not work uh, the past three years. Um, I don't think they recruited very well at defensive line. I thought linebackers uh, were up and down overall. But I really liked the, the defensive backfield. The problem last year, though, is that the defensive backfield, one of the strongest areas of the team, just had was totally almost wiped out by injuries. And so you, know, you, you take all those factors, you add it up, and, it, and it's not good. Brandon Jones, you know, one of their best safeties, is now in the NFL. Um, and they and they've had uh, some other guys moving around, uh, but Demarion Overshone is solid. Um, I, they really like Deshaun Jameson at corner. I, mean, I, I definitely think they have got the right people in place, but getting getting all eleven to perform is is going to be the big key. Visiting again with Brian Davis from the Austin American Statesman. We've got Texas at number 15 in our preseason top 25. Let's go to offense. Cannot believe Sam Ellinger is still here. He's one of those guys you feel like has been in college football for seven or eight years. Now finally a senior. Talk about his progression as a quarterback and then lay out some of the weapons he's going to have around him this fall. Well, if, if I told you that Sam Ellinger was going to finish his career most likely Number two in almost every uh, quarterback category that Texas had, you'd think, well, that's a pretty good career, right? That's that's amazing, right? Well, he's done all that, and he has not won a championship. He's only won one game of major significance, and that was the Sugar Bowl, which, you know, that was just sort of a nice uh, glamour game that really didn't, you know, wasn't for the CFP or mean anything. So, you know, if Sam wants to be like Vince, like Colt McCoy, that level of, of – of quarterbacks in school history, you got to win a Big 12 title, and who knows that? He's got to get it done this year. I think he's got a lot of good tools around him. I really like Brennan Eagles out wide. Uh, they've got some younger receivers, Pouncey, uh, Jake Smith, that I think are going to surprise some people. But the key to me is going to be can they block well and can they get a solid running game. Keontae Ingram is the, is the incumbent guy in the backfield, but they really, really like B. John Robinson, a five-star kid from Arizona, you know, one of the nation's top running back recruits. To me, that's where they need to show some real improvement. Can they establish a ground game without having Ellinger be such a vital part of the running game? You keep him safe, you keep him upright, and then I think the offense should be able to flow more freely. You mentioned Jersey now the offensive coordinator. What what do you think he adds wrinkle-wise to this offense that we didn't see the last couple of years with, with the Beck-Herman combo? I, th I think for that, you have to look at what happened during his time at Oklahoma State, right? Uh, you know, I think, during, I think the stats are during his three years at Oklahoma State, the Cal or uh, during his three-year stretch, uh, they averaged over 40 points a game. Right during three specific years, I think he was there six years total. But but uh, they averaged forty points a game. They had, they had a great quarterback, they had a great running back, and great receiver. Uh, all all three of those guys made it to the league. And so, you know, to me, what has frustrated me about Texas's offense is that 
it's like everybody gets a participation ribbon. Okay, you know, here's your two opportunities, and here's your two chances, and here's your three three catches. Forget that. Play the best players. You know, you know, throw it to the best guys. You know, this is college football. This is not the NFL. You know, get open, throw them the ball, go make a play. It's not supposed to be that difficult. Yeah. All right, handicap for us the the top of the league. Everybody's been chasing Oklahoma for a while, but but that number two spot, and we certainly feel like Texas is right in there, maybe with the Cowboys and the Cyclones. How do you see this thing going? You know, if you'd have told me uh, in uh, in April and May, uh, what's my preseason poll? To me, it's Oklahoma number one, clear cut. I think Oklahoma State number two, and then Texas number three. And the reason why I now have a question mark on that is because of what happened in Stillwater uh, over the summer with Mike Gundy. You know, um, as this whole Black Lives Matter movement takes hold and and the way that his players sort of had a mini revolt on him. um, And then Shuba Hubbard had to put out this hostage video that he was still all in with the program. I mean, what's what's really going to happen with the Cowboys when, when, you know, action really heats up? Are they really going to play hard for that coach? I don't know. And so that's why, to me, Oklahoma State is now a giant wild card in my mind with Texas there and Iowa State fourth. I really, really like Matt Campbell. I think he's one of the best, brightest up-and-comers in college football right now. And quite honestly, I'm stunned he is still at Iowa State going into this year. Yeah. Could that be a, a, a play-in game on Thanksgiving if they keep the schedule the same with, with Texas and Stillwater? I mean, it definitely could. There, there's no question about it. I mean, whenever that if, if they rearrange the schedule, whenever that game is, I definitely think that's going to be a huge tiebreaker type of game. Um, you know, and, the, and I'll say this, the team that I always label – as the uh, the group that's going to mess it up for everyone is TCU. I mean, I know no one ever talks about Gary Patterson and their crew, it, and for good reason. But darn it, if that guy doesn't crank out solid defense all the time, and they are always, always competitive, TCU is always my team to watch. That'll surprise. Right. Brian, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hopefully you're covering some games here in about a month. That's, I think we're all oh, keeping our God. fingers crossed. All of us. All <laughs> of us. No doubt. No doubt. Here is Brian Davis from the Austin American Statesman joining us on our Sports Nightly Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Greg Sharp now joined by Ben McLaughlin. You like Texas, I mean, and, and they make the changes of the coordinators. Chris Ash we know really well. He's a very good defensive mind. If they can get that defense better, I think this could be a team that can make it to that Big 12 championship game in December. Yeah, I think their their defense, I think, is is the next thing that needs to turn the corner. I think they they really need to find a way to to put a staple on that side of the ball. Um, they, they, they get a couple of those safeties back, which – both of those guys were, were big-time, big-time commits to the program with Stearns and Foster. Uh, nine starters back on that side, so you like their ability to take a step forward. Um, I loved Devin DuVernay on their team last year. I mean, that, that he, was, uh, he was J.D. Spielman and Stanley Morgan wrapped up in, into one. He was a big play guy. He was our slot guy. Caught like a billion balls for them. Uh, he's going to be a big loss. But Sam Ellinger is, is one of the, the, the greats that they've had in a long time. Uh, it's about time they've had some stability at the quarterback position, and and they finally have that. They, that guy's a rock, and he is beloved by the Texas Longhorn fans. 
So I think they have some parts. They get Brennan Eagles back, who I think is a great receiver. Tariq Black is a name that will sound familiar to Husker fans, a transfer from Michigan. If he can find a way to stay healthy, they still have some weapons. The one thing that Texas was able to do a lot better last year, Greg, than they've been able to do in, in prior years is run the football. And they get a couple of those running backs back as well. I'd expect Keontae Ingram to, to, to near 1,000 yards again this year. But um, – they're, they're close. I don't know that they're quite back. It's been a long time since Joe Tessitore told us that Texas was back. And I, to me, I think Coach Herman has underwhelmed, but I haven't given up on him yet. I think there's still a chance for him to do what we all thought he may when he got hired in Austin. Well, I think he knew the first couple of years they weren't quite where he, they needed to be to challenge Oklahoma stride for stride in the Big 12. And so he goes and changes coordinators. He didn't lay back. You could kind of say the same thing happened in Lincoln, where Scott Frost makes the move at offensive coordinator. Defensively, Ben, they were 97th in total defense a year ago. That better come up a long ways if they're going to make that Big 12 title game and be at least the number two team in that league. Right, because it it's hard to go stride for stride with Oklahoma on the offensive side. Sooner right. or later, you got to find a way to rely on something else. And, and something and hang your hat. I mean, he, he talked about TCU, and I think that's something that TCU has been able to do at times, and that's why they can beat some of those teams is because they have – and they good, play good defense. So we've seen Texas be competitive with Oklahoma. They lost a tight one with the Sooners last year, beat them the year before that. Uh, but to do that on a consistent level is very difficult to do, and it's, hard, it's very hard to do without a defense. They were 7-5 and five in the regular season, and they needed walk-off field goals to beat both Kansas and Kansas State. So, you know, they, they kind of salvaged a little bit at the end by winning the Alamo Bowl over Utah in pretty convincing fashion. Then he made the changes to the coaching staff. I, I'm with you. I'm not ready to stamp them as being back, but we like them enough with all the things that they have back, and I think we also appreciate Chris Ash as a defensive coach that they will be better defensively to put them at number 15. And it, it makes me a little nervous, but we got them at 15. And a, a lot of a lot of this talking, Greg, when we have these conversations center around one position, and that's quarterback, and Sam Ellinger is as reliable as they come in that regard. So I think that's – it's just huge for them to get him back and uh, to be a part of uh, of this team. And if they are going to be back, he would be one that could take them there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt. All right, uh, again, thanks to Brian Davis for being with us here on the program. All right, 531-500-4686. That's our new Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline number, 531, the new area code in the state. 500-4686. It's also our U.S. Cellular text line. So if you want to send us a text, you can do that and be a part of the discussion tonight as well. Teddy Greenstein, our good buddy who comes on Thursday nights, has an interesting tweet out. We'll talk about that next. We're back Monday night sports finally here on the Husker Sports Network. Tomorrow night we'll continue our position breakdowns. We're going to break down the special teams unit. Talk about a lot of question marks, a lot of new names for kicker, punters. Uh, so we'll, we'll delve into that and then rank out where we've put Nebraska in that phase of the game with the other teams of the Big Ten West. We'll also have a top ten topic. Do we have any thoughts on that? You've been gone. You probably stockpiled your top ten thoughts over the last couple of weeks. That's what I did. Every diaper that I changed, I came up with a new top ten list. Oh, good. So, good. Yeah. 
We've got a couple hundred of those. <laughs> well, we'll, we always kind of stumble into something. So we'll have that for you tomorrow night. We'll continue our our uh, preseason top 25 countdown up to number 14 tomorrow night. So looking forward to all that. All right, let's get into the weekend winners. Ben, lead us off. Yeah, uh, I've got the Yankees on right now. Not a Yankees fan at all. Don't even necessarily care for this player too much, but got to be Aaron Judge. I mean, home yeah. run in five straight games. Dude's absolutely mashing. Was injured last year for a good chunk of the year, and he's starting this year with reckless abandon. I mean, he is absolutely murdering the ball for the Yankees, who are starting the year red hot at 7-1 and one and likely going to go 8-1 and one with a win over the Phillies tonight. So Aaron Judge, for me, uh, thankfully, I haven't had a run up against him in fantasy yet, and hopefully he I, cools off when I do. I saw a graphic that he has the most home runs this early in the season of any Yankee and bettered the start that A-Rod had during one season, and some guy named Babe Ruth had one, I think, in the 32 season. So that is tall cotton. He is just crushing the ball right now, seeing it really well. He played at Haymarket Park, you know. He played for Fresno State Yeah, back, it, back in the, the day. The craziest thing about that is none of us – like remember there are some players that you leave the ballpark going yeah we'll probably hear that name again or see that guy again he was not one of them no like he was just another dude other than man that guy's really tall yeah he's big that's that's really all you would think of okay tim how about your weekend winner well ben stole my weekend winner typical but i do have two don't worry uh begrudgingly have to admit iowa men's basketball are weekend winners because luca garza announced he's coming back and Guys, I hope you didn't miss this. Uh, there is the Mississippi is accepting new submissions from the public to update their their flag. And one of the submissions, and this is this is real. You can go on their website and look at the submissions. Is just that picture of Elijah Moore and the Egg Bowl doing his infamous oh my <laughs> dog gosh. celebration. No. Really, and that is one of the submissions for the new state flag. It has my vote. I don't know if I have a say. I don't know if they're like voting on this, but that that wins. That's a great. Even flag. though it costed the Rebels the well, game, probably a Mississippi State fan, I would imagine, is this person. But it, it's it's all good stuff. That's crazy. Wow. We are going to do a recap maybe tomorrow about the teams in the Big Ten and who lost guys early to the NBA and who didn't. You're right. That was a big get for Fran McCaffrey to keep Luca Garza. I was going to be a top. 15, maybe top 10 team with him coming back next year. Michigan State loses Xavier Tillman, but Aaron Henry is coming back for his year, so they did okay with that. The Big Ten in hoops is going to be unbelievable. There are going to be there are going to be three or four teams on the top 15 in the Big Ten in hoops. I saw an absolutely fantastic tweet, and, and of course it's going to look like sour grapes coming from a from a Husker. But so I don't even think it was a Husker fan that tweeted it, and it was like, does anybody else find it disconcerting that Iowa is applauding a player that uh, led them to a twenty and eleven record and a four way tie for fifth place, uh, <laughs> announcing he's back like Michael Jordan, <laughs> just because he says I'm. That was his quote. I'm back. It was. I think it was a Cyclone fan that tweeted it, but I I thought that was rather funny. He was the college player of the year, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, I mean, Vice. I think Obi Obi might have clipped him in in a couple of them, but he was in he was in yeah. the top. And and that's the obvious retort, right? He's right. one of the best players in the country, but I, I thought it was funny. Yeah, so we'll, we'll recap all that for you in a future segment here on Sports Night. I'm going off the sports page for my weekend winner. I'm going the SpaceX, which came back to Earth after spending several weeks up at the International Space Station. It was the first American splashdown from space in 45 years since 
uh, U.S. astronauts have splashed down uh, coming back from space. Um, they're now going to up that. The next launch, they're going to send four up on the SpaceX things and try to increase it so that they can start taking multiple people up into space. Would you do that? Would you? Would, if somebody came to you and says, you can go on the next launch, would you do it? No. I'm out. Really? I don't know that my body could handle it. Like, I don't even like roller coasters, let alone floating around in space. I, I, don't, I don't think I can make it. One of the last modern families, you know, that, that show wrapped up after, I think, 11 seasons this past spring. One of the last ones, Josh Gad made a special appearance, and he comes up to he, – he was like a next-door neighbor of those for a while. He came up to Phil Dunphy, and he's <laughs> – Josh Gad's character had become kind of like an Elon Musk, and he wanted to take Phil to space, and Phil's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go. I, don't, I can't do that. I don't want to oh, die in it. space. Oh, that's awesome. So there you go. Have you started the new Last Chance You that, that dropped last week? I have. I think I'm three episodes in. It's so contrastly different than the other two. I mean, you could draw comparisons from East Mississippi and Indy because their head coaches were so similar. This one is so different for multiple reasons. I mean, the location, you're going from uh, middle of nowhere Kansas and middle of nowhere Mississippi to Oakland. I mean, it's everything about it's a little different, but it's still entertaining. And I did read that HBO is going to start uh, their hard knocks with the Rams, I think, in a, in a week. Isn't it a joint Rams and Chargers? I think so. Are, are, yeah. They just did the right. Rams not that long ago. Yeah, I think you're right on that. Also, I started Space Force on Netflix. I couldn't help. What would you think? Well, I'm only an episode or two. I'm a two, two episodes in. I made it one. I'm like, this ain't for me. Yeah. Josh made it, fought it through. He thought it was okay, I think, toward the end. So I'm going to hang with it. I'm a big Steve Carell fan. All right. He was on some other comedy show that wasn't bad. Good hour. Thanks to Hondo Carpenter and Brian Davis for adding some expertise into Michigan State and Texas as we continue to preview college football, which we hope starts in a few weeks.